Today's episode is brought to you by the new Yelp for Restaurants. In July 2020, hundreds of hospitality professionals and enthusiasts at Yelp banded together to create a new team dedicated entirely to the betterment of restaurants. Check out our latest project together, the Restaurant Marketing School podcast at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash marketing school or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here we go. I think the vast majority of people think that sustainability is about what do you do with waste once it's created. We look at it wholly differently. We say our job is to not create waste. And I don't care if it's waste of product, waste of something that torches money on fire, or waste of human and human talent. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Who's the most important person in your restaurant? On a busy Saturday night, it's the dishwasher. Because if the dishwasher doesn't show up, you're the dishwasher. To make his job easier and our operation more efficient, we've upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink using less soap and resulting in fewer changeovers. Save time and money with Dawn Professional. It's clean, upgraded. You should listen to Martha Hoover. Not because she owns and operates 14 different restaurants. Not because she offers her 400 member team full benefits and parental leave. Not because of her nationally renowned sustainability efforts. And not because her farm-to-table casual concepts are actually profitable. You should listen to Martha Hoover because she's right. This is our moment. This is our opportunity to look at the mistakes of the past and make better choices for ourselves. This is the conversation we should have had years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk. When I started out 30 years ago, I could be distinguished purely on the fact that I served a turkey sandwich made out of a turkey that I roasted. That was the distinguisher, that Mm -hmm. I made my own bread, that I made mayonnaise from scratch. Mm -hmm. Those were the distinguishers. And it took me not very long to realize that those distinguishers, as great as they were, were not enough. But I think even more so today than 30 years ago, for sure. Now it is absolutely not enough, to your point. It's more than just the plate. And if you're still in that mindset as a restaurant owner that it's all about the plate, you're dead. You're just dead. You're not going to make it. It's also no longer about a fucking chef. I'm sorry, all you chefs out there. It's not. I have a son who is a chef, European trained, worked at very famous restaurants in Copenhagen, all that stuff, worked in Paris, is in LA. Guess what? Restaurants are ballets, they are sports teams, they are the ultimate team sport. And if you're putting all of your resourcing into backing up one person, the chef, you're doing a tremendous disfavor to the rest of the team. These are all things you know. Four years ago, I was asked to give a keynote speech at the Indianapolis Economics Club. 
I truthfully had never been to one of their lectures before. It's an invited group. They have economics clubs all over the United States. They're supposed to be the best and brightest of thinkers. And truthfully, they invited me. And when I got there, they introduced me and said that I was the only restaurateur to ever have been asked to give a keynote. Now, this was four years ago. I knew nothing about the pandemic, obviously. But in that speech, I talked about the state of the restaurant industry. I gave that speech a week after John Besh was outed for being a predator in his own ecosystem. I know that they knew I would talk about misogyny and all that stuff in the restaurant industry. But when I look back at that speech, I talked about the dangers of a potential restaurant bubble, insane competition, like record level competition, punishing rents, rent structures that could not be sustainable. I talked about the dangers of third-party delivery companies, the dangers of a ghost kitchen, which, by the way, I had to define because it was such a new term. No one in the audience knew what it was. So all the things that have made restaurants, the entire industry, vulnerable should have been known. These were not secrets, right? The pandemic, we use a lot of pandemic terminology now in the company, and we always say the pandemic, COVID, blew everything apart. And it showed lots of vulnerabilities and lots of comorbidities. And the critical thing as a restaurant owner is you should know your own vulnerabilities and your own comorbidities every day. Because when you open that door, you have to dance around them. And it's not like they just showed up with the pandemic, but it's a crazy time. The pandemic, probably the only real positive, I think, externally, is that, and I think your last guest talked about this a lot, this is now part of the public discourse, why restaurants are so vulnerable. And that's pretty important stuff for the public to hear. It is, because it's striving to create what appears to be an effortless experience. We have masked the reality of our situation, not just from our guests, but from each other as industry peers and from ourselves, from our teams. I was talking with someone, this was a couple of years ago, and I was like, you know, what are your goals for this year? And he was like, my goals are to not have to turn to my staff on payday and ask them to hold their checks for a couple of more days. And it's heart-wrenching. And that has nothing to do with the pandemic. This was years before the pandemic. And this guy owned a busy restaurant, was doing well by the standards by which we judge restaurants. I think there are a couple of factors that are really critical in what you just said. One is that, look, historically, restaurant profitability has decreased dramatically over the last 10 years. And that has a lot to do with cultural pressures, competition, punishing rents, extremely high construction costs, all that stuff, food costs. I studied economics in college, and I'm like, why isn't anyone talking about the inflationary stuff? Because my food costs have never held stable. Labor costs, if you're doing things right, where does it come out of? And the biggest problem, I think, facing restaurants, and when I'm asked to speak 
nationally, when I have the honor, I always try to touch on the fact that the biggest problem we have is restaurants or theater. And as a result, we try to act like everything's fine. And we have this pressure to of menu pricing that does not match reality of what menu pricing should be. Our entire economic structure is based on food being valued only when you get the most food for the cheapest amount of money. And that automatically means that you can't price your menu properly. You can't pay your people properly. When people don't value food, they don't value the food makers. They don't value the farmers. They don't value the food servers. They don't value the entire industry. I've got my iPhone. There is no way that Apple makes this thing. This is a thousand dollar piece of equipment basically these days. To you try telling me that Apple has 900, and let me see if it's on a 10%. Most restaurants would be thrilled today to be at a 10%, <laughs> right? If this really sure, sure. works it, like that, it doesn't work that and way. And the industry standard would be 10%, right? Totally. Yeah. So the economics can never work. And what happens? You can't charge real pricing for food. We try really hard. We have information on every menu that says our menu pricing reflects our ability, our desire, our ability to provide security for our staff. What does that mean? I mean, we cannot pay people out of thin air. And if you want to treat your staff with the respect that I know all decent restaurateurs want to do, the days are gone of paying a kitchen the most minimum that you can. It is like woefully morally wrong. When I entered the restaurant industry, I had a major advantage, initially seen as probably a kiss of death for me. The advantage was that I had never worked in the restaurant industry. I was a lawyer by education, and I came from the legal world where you graduate from law school truly knowing jack shit. But you graduate from law school and immediately you are treated like a professional. When you are hired, you're given a salary position, a position with benefits. What are some of the benefits? How about pay time off? You've got that. And even 35 years ago, that's how it was. I was shocked when I came to the restaurant industry to learn that no one is considered to be a professional in the restaurant industry. That's a problem. We have to stop talking about teams as if everyone is a gig worker. That gig economy is not sustainable. It's not healthy for the restaurants. It's not healthy for the gig worker. And what it really does is it deprofessionalizes restaurant staff. You try telling me that you would get on an airplane with a pilot who was like a gig worker just trying to make ends meet. No certifications, just showing up. The restaurant world has to change how it functions internally and externally as well. We have to be really open about what our comorbidities are because there are a lot of them. And you're right, it didn't all start with the pandemic. And I'd love to see us get out of the pandemic with people having a greater understanding 
of why these conversations are so important. But I will mention, we have a local business publication in Indianapolis called the Indianapolis Business Journal. And there was an article in it yesterday about our city county council wanting to pass legislation restricting third-party delivery companies' commissions. And I was asked by the city county council what I thought about it, and my quote was in the Indianapolis Business Journal. The comments, and I know you're never supposed to read the comments, but I'm a sadist and I am a glutton for punishment. Plus, you never know when you learn something by reading comments. But the overarching thread was how Martha Hoover and her restaurants are so expensive, were not, by the way, are so expensive that she doesn't deserve to have this opinion. And I'm like, no, no, you are not understanding why my prices are what they are. And by the way, they should be higher. And I guarantee your prices should have been higher too. Even in your Michelin-starred restaurant, it should have been higher. Right. Because we were netting in a great year 10% in a bad year, losing a little money. And I tell people all the time, especially look at the fine dining restaurant, we were top lining 3.4 million a year and netting out around 10% on a good year. You know how hard you have to work for that $340,000 that you don't even get to keep because it costs millions to build it out originally? Okay, how insane is that? How about this whole idea of one of the changes that I'm really adamant happens is our relationship with property owners, landlords. I mean, the business model that restaurants are in, the business model that retail is in, is that you go to these landlords who own their property, and as a result, they really lord over you. Now, that's just bullshit. It is 2021. And beyond lording over you, they say to you, yeah, you can rent this property from me, but any improvement you make to my property, you have to do on your own. And if you can't afford it and you need me to do a tenant improvement deal, I'll give you the money, but I'm going to charge you usurious fees in terms of payback on your rent. Your rent's going to go up. And by the way, when you hit a certain break-even point, when you're doing well and you hit numbers, we're going to even overlord you more by charging a percentage of that. So besides the fact that we kick in nothing, you improve our property. You not only improve our property, you improve the entire strip center or whatever it is. You make people come here. You make my property more valuable, but you owe me rent. You owe me your construction. You owe me a percentage of what you do over a certain number. And if you don't like it, we're going to sue you, we're going to evict you, and we're going to fuck you over. I'm sorry, that's not sustainable. It begs a bigger question. So obviously, pricing is one of the biggest solutions to everything. We all just need to charge more. Like in 10 months of doing this, I've got to tell you, Martha, like it really is that simple. If everybody charged double, they would make double, which means some people would break even, some people would actually make a little bit of money and all of us would hopefully be in a position where we could pay our staff and all of that. But it requires storytelling. It requires having a difficult conversation with the people we are most afraid of, which is our patrons. If I've learned one thing over the last 10 months, it's that people don't really care in the way that I thought they did. Nobody goes to a gas station 
like lights the place on fire because gas costs an extra dollar per gallon. They understand because that industry has taught them that costs are variable, so pricing is variable. We have been either unwilling or unable to have that conversation with the people that support us. And I would argue it's because we've all been more afraid of going out of business than we have in like slogging along for 30 years in a business that sucks the life out of us and never really makes any money and becomes more of a liability than an asset by the end of it. It's a black hole. It's a black hole. But I do think it's so simple, but it's at the same time so remarkably complicated because our entire, I mean, this is a very short code answer to a remarkably complex subject. Our entire capitalist system is built on the paradigm that it's all about economy and economy of scale. It's not the best, it's the most you can get for your dollar. It's not the highest quality, it's the mass-produced quality that you get for your money. And so we have to talk about a major shift in consciousness level. And you're right, when you come into a restaurant, customers see it as transactional. But when you go beyond the transaction, look at the number of bodies that actually have to touch each plate to make that plate possible. We did at the beginning of the pandemic to drive this subject home to our customers because I immediately, when we reopened, I jacked my prices up uniformly. Now, I didn't double them. Every menu item got an increase. And it got an increase because, you know what? I had been forced to close for three months. I had no promise of a help from my government. I had people who were dependent on me. I had legal obligations. I had rents that had to be paid. There was just so much I could do. And I'm like, we're going to open, but we're opening differently. We did a lot of data searching regarding our menu. We put on the items that we got highest return on. We added pricing. We educated our staff on our pricing model. And we said to our customers, this is necessary so that we can survive. But the idea, and this goes back to the whole thing about restaurants or theater, the idea of a restaurant owner putting that money in his or her pocket at the end of every night, it's got to go away. The idea that food celebrities have added to this narrative, I don't know about you, but I'm driving a Subaru Outback. I'm not driving the most expensive car on the planet, but every restaurant friend I know is, and I'm kind of like, I don't know how you guys are doing it. I really don't. And that's the theater. You can never really turn to a restaurant counterpart and say, God, my numbers just suck. You just can't. It's part of the theater. And we know that they almost all suck. And the saddest part is restaurants right now that are thriving. Let's talk about the national chains. Let's talk about what's going on with Chick-fil-A. I mean, in our city, Indianapolis, much different than Los Angeles. I get it. Their people are waiting in lines in their car for as much as 25 minutes for the privilege to drive up and order a Chick-fil-A. And these Chick-fil-A's have three and four drive-through lines at a time. Now, I don't eat that quality food as a 
66. I learned a long time ago what that level of food does to the planet and my body, and I don't support it. And I should say good for them. But when they serve a devalued product for whatever $3.99, $4.99, it devalues my product too. And that's a real problem. Well, that begs the question. So you were an advocate for sustainability, the farm to table movement long before it was a thing. But then you chose to get into casual dining and not just with one location, but with many. Why would you choose that tier of dining when you knew you wouldn't be able to charge what the food was worth? Yeah. See, that's just it. 31 years ago, when I opened my first restaurant, I had never worked in a restaurant. I had never worked in a for-profit business. I did not know I was pregnant. I was not a trained chef. Seriously, recipe for disaster. I did not know then what I know now. And I did not know then what I learned really quickly. And what I learned really quickly was that if I was charging, if I was to charge on my menu in 1989, the year I opened, what other restaurants in my category were charging, I would not be in business. I charge more. And I said to my customers, now, obviously, when I say I said, I didn't talk to them about this, but what the experience, how it translated to my customers was that I told them they could expect more out of me, but I defined more differently. And I said the same thing to my staff. You can expect more out of me, but I defined more differently. And I said to my customers, I'm not going to use the word more in terms of more food on a plate. I'm going to tell you that you can expect higher quality, carefully made, intentionally made, whatever the pretentious words of the moment are. Farm to table was not a term in existence for almost 20 years, truly, after I opened my first restaurant. But I talked about things like homemade. I talked about what we were doing in the community to engage our community and to thank them for their outrageous support of me. I defined the word more in a completely different way. But all along, my pricing has been high for the market. And it's not because I was greedy and I was making money fist over fist. It was because immediately I was paying more for ingredients. I also was paying more for staffing right out of the gate. And that is just the crazy accident of my story. And the accident is that, as I said, I came from the legal world. So when I hired my first chef, I didn't think in terms of paying somebody $7 an hour. That was a really good back then if you could get it in 1989. I didn't even know that that's what chefs got paid. I was like, no one can live on $7 an hour. And I treated my people like they were professionals because I didn't know any better. And it was truly an accident that really helped create my philosophy around business and around food and around restaurants. And I think everything else has to fall away for people in restaurants right now. We have to talk about transparency. We have to talk about honesty. We have to talk about our vulnerabilities. And then what do we do? Everyone's talking about the $15 minimum wage hike. I don't know what 
is Los Angeles already under a $15 minimum wage? And I'm like, here's the thing. People are panicking, at least in my community. They're panicking. They're going, my God, it'll close us down. I'm like, what are you doing thinking that you can actually pay people less than $15 an hour? It's not that everyone's a monster and I'm not. It's just that we operate our business very differently. We really watch our, this sounds like trite stuff, but it is about controlling all that you can control in your four walls. And you mentioned sustainability. Sustainability really at its very core, whether it's environmental or economic, or we consider our human resourcing to be part of our sustainability platform as well. I think the vast majority of people think that sustainability is about what do you do with waste once it's created. We look at it wholly differently. We say our job is to not create waste. And I don't care if it's waste of product, waste of something that torches money on fire, or waste of human and human talent. Our job is to not create waste in the first place. And if you have that mindset, you automatically watch what you're doing very differently. You brought up something that really resonated with me because when I was doing research, there was a through line through everything that I read and everything that you've said that I was able to consume. It's this idea of intention. If you and I were to go on a road trip and poll 10,000 restaurateurs and ask everybody, would you love to give all of your employees subsidized health care and paid time off and parental leave and like you even do like a financial literacy education fund and create an employee run emergency relief fund, which you have, which is in the six digits. It's incredible. People would say, sure. Yeah, I would love to do all of that. But like, I don't have the money to do it. But when I have the money to do it, I'll do it. And it doesn't work that way, no, right? No, that it has to be prioritized. I didn't have the money to do it either, but we did it. We made it part of our way of doing business. And it is that simple. You know, if you're always going to be, yeah, I can't do it now, but I'll figure it out later. Later never comes. And I'm not the only restaurant in the United States who does it with intention. But at my business, I look at my spaces truly as sacred spaces. And I think that we are so fortunate to have not just the customers we have, not just the staff we have, the food we have, the relationships we have. And I don't really know where I'm going with this, but truthfully, it's an honor to serve people, whether it's customers or staff. And I think that we are in a place where we need to really acknowledge that people are not expendable. We know that. We say that. Just to your point, if you would ask restaurateurs if they want to give raises, they all say they do. Well, then do it and make it work on the back end. Figure out your menu pricing. When people talk about our sustainability, our environmental sustainability initiatives, frequently, they all ask us how we can do it. Composting and, you know, everything we do. And it is all expensive. It all comes from somewhere. But again, it's all related back to the bottom line. And build it into your menu pricing. Build it into your business budgeting. That's the only way it's going to get done. But what you get in return, I believe, is transparency. You get people who believe in you, 
because you are delivering what you tell them. You're delivering on what you tell them they can expect from you. And that's where I find so much of restaurant stuff now just yawn worthy awful. For all these restaurant leaders out there, I need more. I really do. I need to see what they're doing for their restaurants, their communities, their staff. And again, few are doing a great job, but so many are just skating by doing their best impression of status quo. And that's just never been what has inspired me. Well, restaurant people deserve more, but by and large, especially when you look at like the mom and pops, the single unit independent restaurant tours, the conversation that I've been having over and over again is, you know, don't even think about your staff. Like you deserve more. You're 55 years old and you don't have a 401k. You don't have subsidized healthcare. At some point after we came back from our mandated shutdowns, we were allowed to open, but at 50% capacity. And I sat my leadership team down and I said to them, all right, guys, we're going to do this. And here's why we can't fail. All of you, if I had to shut this, I hate to cuss, kind of, I don't mind cussing. <laughs> if, if I have to shut this motherfucker down, you're all going to be able to go out and get a job. And guess what? You've been trained with our language. You guys are good at what you do. You're great. I'm 66. I'm the owner of this. I'm sitting on legal obligations. I'm sitting on debt as a result of these legal obligations. Forget the moral stuff. I'm talking just the true, what I have to do. And I'm unemployable from moving on. So yes, you're right. It's not just do it for your staff. Do it for yourself. Do it for the premises that you are pouring your soul into? Why undercharge? Why give away something? Why give away this remarkable resourcing? Everyone knows that restaurants are community centers. Well, nothing comes for free. I think that the message to kind of circle back on what you stated at the beginning, the message has to be, we all need to change our pricing. Here's another thing I never have understood. Customers, in their own mind, they have this weird game that they play about pricing that they'll accept and pricing that they won't. Indianapolis is a huge chain restaurant town, always has been. We have a ton of national steakhouses. The go-to restaurants in this community, no one thinks twice about paying $12 for a baked potato. No one thinks twice about it. But a $12 omelet from eggs of the quality that we source with the cheeses that we source with the vegetables made by people in our kitchens who get paid a livable wage or above, who get benefits in served in premises that are well kept, no maintenance, no health, no security, all that stuff, they say it's expensive. I do not understand the disconnect. And I appreciate this is an opportunity to talk about that disconnect. But at the same time, we all are kind of in our echo chamber. We need everyone to talk about this. So it becomes something that the public is acutely aware of. Supporting a restaurant like Steak and Shake or Chick-fil-A or whatever, the McDonald's, the hidden cost of that business model to society is so remarkable. And we don't talk about hidden costs at all. 
I think you stand up there is a prime example of playing your own game. So if you've listened to any episodes of the show, you know that I wax philosophical on a bunch of shit that people think I'm probably unwilling to do myself. And people come back to me and they say, well, sure, okay, I'll raise prices. I'll offer subsidized health care. But what happens when my neighbor drops his prices by 50%? And one of the things you've done so beautifully is you play your own game. You're not influenced by your neighbors and this broad scale competition. You're just doing what's best for you. I'm doing what's best for my enterprise. Truly, I'm doing what's best for the enterprise. And at the same time, I deliver what I tell people I will deliver on. So there's no greenwashing regarding the quality of the food. If we say that something's from a farm, it's actually from a farm. And you know what? We actually have a relationship with the farmer. You know that that doesn't happen in a lot of restaurants. They exaggerate their farm-to-table cred. I get the economic pressures to do that because the public is so willing to accept short code words for big ideas. I do believe that at the end of the day, a lot of people just see restaurants as another place to get a meal. And I have said since day one, I'm going to challenge you. If you think my restaurants are only a place to get a meal because it's convenient for you or it's cheap, you can go to a million other places that'll be more convenient and cheaper. That's not what I'm offering you. I'm offering you, and then we talk about the quality that we offer, and the quality goes beyond the plate. And that's what I'll offer you. But I also pay back in terms of what we do for our community, which I think is critically important. But I'll tell you the one problem I'm having now, and I ran into this with other restaurateurs in my community not backing me up. There are organizations every day that hit up restaurants for free food, gift certificates, all that stuff. There's an organization in the city that it's a camp for adults that makes a ton of money. And then the camp gives out a certain percentage of money to charity. So all these adult campers, like all these lawyers and doctors, both men and women who go and learn about archery or cheese making or how to knit or whatever it is that they do there. They go for three days, this outdoor experience, and the organizers of this camp expect restaurants to come in and feed the campers for free because it's such good advertising for the restaurants. So I've done this historically for the last 20 years with this camp. And I got an email the other day and the email said, hey, we're starting the camp again. Will you be there? We not only want you as a keynote speaker, fabulous, but we also would like for you to serve dinner the night that the women leave and the men come. So there'll be about 250 people. We need you to serve dinner. And then they list all the other restaurants that are doing this. And my response was, I am flattered. I no longer have the capacity to speak for free, or to give away my product for free. The response, however, was, well, we don't know what's wrong with you because all these other restaurants are doing it. And I'm like, okay, we need other restaurants to step up and say, we no longer have the capacity to give away our resourcing. We just don't, especially now in the pandemic. And people have to stop asking. 
But if I'm the only one who mentioned that out of 10 restaurants, then it fell on deaf ears, truly. But again, ultimately, it's going to come down to, and I would assume, certainly not trying to get into the head of all of the other people that signed up for that, most people don't do that willfully. Like you do it motivated by fear, right? The fear of being excluded, the fear of losing out on an opportunity for exposure. And it's what I have seen broadly, and I've just found it so amazing year after year after year is you're going to be hard pressed to find an industry with worse margins than ours. And everybody's got their hands in our pocket. Everybody. Everybody wants a little piece. And it's because they know that we're easy prey because we're desperate. They can smell it on us. We need more money. We need more time. We need more resources. We're constantly in need. And so it's always this quote unquote opportunity to turn things around. And yet we're still not rounding the corner. It is a fear. It's also this lemming. No one is willing to be original, truly original. So much of restaurant world is so derivative. And from city to city, restaurant to restaurant, oh, I know what it was. Here's the biggest problem. Yes, restaurants are desperate. Restaurants are afraid. But also, the vast majority of people in the restaurant industry, the vast majority, are not rich people. You don't have a lot of power. It's a segmented industry. And everyone, even in LA, I have lots of friends, my son, my sister live in Los Angeles community. I love, but even my people that I know in LA, they basically support 10 restaurants in LA. Do you know how many restaurants are in LA? They don't think beyond the 10 restaurants that they support. So the industry is so segmented that you couldn't possibly even name every restaurant that is in your neighborhood in LA, let alone your city. You can name every airline flying in and out of LAX right now. So compare the two. We have none of the strength that our numbers would indicate we deserve. None. I don't know what the latest numbers from the National Restaurant Association would say as to how many restaurants there are in the United States. Let's say 600,000. No one thinks of numbers or 15 million employees in food and hospitality. No one ever thinks of that when they're visiting their neighborhood coffee shop. And I think that's a problem too, is our industry is not seen as this huge economic driver that it truly is. And that automatically devalues what we do. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Oh, wow. That is such a great question. And I knew that you would be asking me something like that. And I feel like it's kind of a gotcha moment. And I really mean that because there's so much. We have been in survivor mode since the pandemic. But truthfully, circling back to your words at the opening, we have been in survivor mode for as long as ever. And that's why restaurants, I believe, we were forced to pivot. I hate that word, but I don't know another one to use. We were forced to pivot and we were able to pivot so much because we pivot every day. 
we have pivoted every day. What I am particularly tired of is people acting as if their ideas regarding these pivots were genius ideas. They're not. What the genius ideas are is the reckoning that the restaurant industry has to have right now in terms of treating its people a certain way, treating its community a certain way, treating our food, our suppliers, and pricing ourselves in a way that makes us truly sustainable. Because there may not be another pandemic again. There may be, but there may not. But there will be natural disasters. There will be fires. There will be some horrible, you know, a critic who comes and destroys your business, a Michelin star lost, whatever it is that will take your business down. And those are the things that we have to protect ourselves. We have to stop patting ourselves for being resilient because we did contact-free deliveries. There's nothing brilliant about that. We have to stop patting ourselves for thinking that that was resilient and brilliant. And we have to really look at the industry and make changes that take us to the next 20 years and beyond. That's Martha Hoover. For more on Martha's organization, go to patasuinc.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.